On this episode of Scammer Stories, I continue my quest to find out why my mother and so many like her fall for a scam that's so obviously fake to everyone else. There's got to be more to it than her loneliness, right? It's like the part of her brain that spots red flags just completely stopped working. The lowest point for me was when she told me that her fiancé couldn't come home yet because he ran into emeralds while mining diamonds in his turkey diamond mine. Yeah. So recently, I ran across an article with Dr. Peter Lichtenberg that caught my eye. A little on his background, Dr. Lichtenberg is a national expert in financial exploitation of older adults at Wayne State University. I don't want to get too technical right now, so talk more about his resume later. How did you get involved or interested in this? I've been doing capacity assessments for well over 25 years, and When I started to do more work in the probate system for capacity for conservatorship cases and so forth, I started to run into a lot of financial exploitation cases, and several of them were about scams. So I decided to start doing more research in this area and start to create some more tools to help people avoid being scammed or for workers who are working with someone who's been scammed to help them try to counsel the person and, um, if necessary, kind of assess their decision-making. If you're not familiar with a conservatorship, it's a court case where a judge appoints a responsible person to care for another adult. I thought about it with my mom, but I didn't have the time. Doctors gave her months to live. So we first published uh, our paper, first nationally representative sample on scams in 2013, and it showed that everybody is vulnerable to scams. We were looking at older adults. We used the Health and Retirement Survey sub-study, and we found that those who had psychological vulnerability, which was a combination of higher levels of depression and also a high level of feeling unseen, loss of status, if you will, Uh, feeling like they were no longer valued. And uh, that combination resulted in separating people out. This rings a bell for me, and I'm sure so many of you listening with loved ones who are addicted to scammers. My mom once had a lot of status in our small Kansas community. Then after 25 years, my parents divorced. Looking back now, I can see that's really when this whole thing started. Her thinking changed. It was all about how she could maintain that lifestyle that she had enjoyed for so long, no matter the cost. One in seven reported being scammed within the past few years, as opposed to one in 24 for the rest of the sample. Wow. So the first thing that comes to my mind is retirement. I mean, I remember when my father retired, he was like, what's going to be my identity Yeah, and the thing about the health and retirement study is that so many of the uh, people were retired, and so uh, many of them were doing well with retirement. But those who really did suffer that loss of status and higher level of depression, it kind of really stood out. What do you think is the cause of this? Is it genetics or just social isolation or the depression? Uh, Being scammed, I think that it is a multitude of factors. 
This, here it is. Here is what I wanted to know from Dr. Lichtenberg. You have to be sort of in a state in which you're somewhat vulnerable, which any of us can be. Let's say we get waking up in the middle of the night. Any of us could be a bit confused, a bit vulnerable, nervous. Uh, You have to, of course, run across a scammer who's trying to influence you. And um, when those things kind of come together, then you have the perfect opportunity for scams. As Dr. Lichtenberg speaks, I keep checking off every single box in my mind. And there's more. I think there are several factors that make people more vulnerable. Uh, One is loss of cognitive function. Even if they don't have dementia, as people start to lose their cognitive abilities, they can become much more likely to be scammed. And part of that is also what expertise you bring. So for example, a lot of the drive-by workman scams are done when people plot out to approach a widow, you know, six months after her husband died about her roof or her chimney or something like that, because they know that, well, in this generation, most of the women, the ones who were kind of hiring workmen. And so without that expertise, without that background, people are more vulnerable to put their trust in someone who sounds like they know what they're doing. So cognition and expertise, then loneliness, along with a kind of no one to check in with about something, you know, so people are making decisions about things they don't have experience with, or they don't really know what's going on, but they're not really able to access a confidant or somebody to to check in with. This is what keeps me up at night. I wouldn't let my mother move in with me after she was scammed because she refused to let the scammers go. In hindsight, I would have moved her in with me and monitored the hell out of her. So I think those factors, those psychological factors also make people more susceptible. So the cognitive function, if the cognitive function has decreased, does the person know it's decreased? Not always. As a matter of fact, the lack of awareness is one of the hallmark symptoms of early serious cognitive decline. Uh, People maybe instinctively know, but not explicitly they lose the ability sort of to reflect on their own abilities, if you will, what we call metacognition, how I think about how I'm thinking. I can't have that perspective anymore. That's one of the things that makes it so difficult. Hmm. Yeah, because I was talking with some of the other scam victims, the family members of other scam victims, and I'm like, could we be a scam victim when we get older, even though we've been through this with our parents? But if our cognitive function declines, it could happen, couldn't it? Most definitely. Most definitely. You know, scams are are forever mutating and becoming slightly different and so forth. But if we get older and our cognitive function declines and we don't really recognize kind of the approach, uh, we definitely could become victims to this. Kind of has a negative connotation to it. You don't want to think that you don't think as sharply as you did when you were younger. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, as I've said before, everybody can be scammed. So you can have great cognitive function and you still get scammed. Mm-hmm. You can have great wealth and still get scammed. 
everybody can be. However, some people are more vulnerable to it. And we see that quite a bit in that people who just aren't as sharp cognitively, don't have the social support, feel more stress, they're more likely to get scammed. Talking about kind of classic Alzheimer's disease, if you will. Here's where we get into a little bit of medical jargon. I'll break it down, but you may want to write this down and do a little research on your own. That's the hippocampal and entorhinal cortex areas, but also the frontal area. And those are the first that are usually affected in Alzheimer's disease. Okay, so basically the part of the brain that regulates motivation, emotion, learning, and memory. Does it show in a scan? It actually does. And if you're, if you're in a, an Alzheimer's trial, for example, the change in measurement of hippocampal volume is one of the earliest signs. However, we don't usually have scans that are measuring things as closely as they are in those kinds of uh, controlled studies. It wouldn't show if I went down the street to my local hospital and got my brain scanned. Mm -hmm. They're not going to read it in the same way that they would if I was in, enrolled in an Alzheimer's study where they were studying me over time. Yeah, I was just wondering if you could get your loved one, if you could get their brain scanned, if that would show anything or not. <laughs> I mean, we're just we're well, trying to figure out how to uh, help our loved ones, and it seems impossible. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, scans are uh, often do show things, but it's not clear always what the impact is. Mm -hmm. our, our brains are are amazingly resilient and always coping with deficits in resounding ways. So people have stroke, you know, the other parts of the brain take over those functions mm -hmm. and uh, things like that. So if you don't have any kind of major problems, you'll see some things on a brain scan, especially if you're over 80, but it's really hard to correlate that with somebody's function. Now, have you done any research on this? I'm really interested in this cognitive function thing. So like my yeah. mom, I think her cognitive function had really declined. Does that mean that my cognitive function will really decline too, or is the likelihood more? It, it doesn't mean that. It, it's a risk factor, but it's a modest one. The biggest risk factor for cognitive decline really is age. So when you get into your 80s, it's about 20% of people have significant cognitive decline, and it increases from there. But, you know, the more first-degree relatives somebody has is a risk factor. There is a genetic component to much of this, and there's a specific genetic risk factor, which, again, isn't as powerful as age itself, but adds to it and interacts with age. Here's the problem. Do you know how many of your family members have had a problem with brain function? I sure don't. The other thing, lifestyle makes a huge difference. So all the things that we learned in health class about nutrition, exercise, sleep, purpose in life, controlling chronic conditions, all those things are really important, it turns out, and uh, social connections. So it's not just one thing, but it's kind of uh, a healthy lifestyle really does impact and delay a cognitive decline. Are there any early signs in the aging process? Yeah, there are, absolutely. We teach people three ways to 
detect cognitive decline in a loved one because it's it's often invisible. So you got to kind of, one, you can ask them if they think their memory problem-solving abilities or thinking has gotten worse over the past year. So that's one way because uh, when people do say yes, and it actually is an indicator that maybe their general health is getting worse. Number two, we can ask somebody who is around them quite a bit. So if we're an observer, we can sort of use an informant scale, a family scale. Does the person ask repetitive questions? Do they seem more irritable or depressed or suspicious? Have they gotten lost while driving or do you feel unsafe when you're driving with them? Have you noticed any changes in their ability to manage money or medications? And so what these are calling out is dementia is more than about cognition. It's also about function. So it's three things. One is the cognitive factor. You know, are people more forgetful? Are they repeating themselves? Another is a personality factor. Are they becoming suspicious, agitated, apathetic, depressed? And a third is the functional factor. And usually finances, medications, and driving are the first to go. Often finances are. That's why these uh, scammers are really sifting for older adults who are having some early cognitive problems and maybe more isolated than they used to be. Maybe they had to give up driving. And now I can befriend somebody and, and really get them to fall for my story. The other thing that we're finding is that along with cognition is something called financial decision-making. And financial decision-making is related to cognition, but it's not exactly the same. And it's how much are people able to kind of use their head in making their decisions. Most people know what decision they want to make and why. You know, I want to help somebody, so I want to give to this cause. But do I really understand how much does this cause seem like it's really a worthy cause? What kind of research have I done to find out about it? Is this their typical way of soliciting funds, for example? So sort of thinking your way through it, understanding and appreciating uh, the decision itself. So the combination of cognitive decline and faulty decision-making makes people much more at risk. So how does your research work then? How do you do it? So we do research in a number of ways. With our financial decision-making scales, we've been working with Adult Protective Services in the state of Michigan. And uh, they've been using our scales with their clients. And then we've been doing some research on how often they agree with the risk recommendation that we make. What are the types of financial decisions that people are being investigated about that are typical in, in that kind of a case? And what are the outcomes? So that's one way we do it. The other way we do research is we provide services, financial coaching for scam and identity theft victims and caregivers. And we also uh, do some pre-post uh, questionnaires and testing with them so that we can really find out more about these victims. For example, one thing we found was compared to a control group, they had so much less social support. They were so much more stressed and strained financially and had higher levels of anxiety and depression. 
and lower cognition than did the control group. So nobody had really looked at it that way, you know, in terms of looking at a set of victims who were having trouble getting their finances back together. So we do research in those ways, as well as drawing on community samples, community volunteers who are not particularly chosen because they were victims. Most aren't. However, what we find is about 15% of our samples do contain people who've been financially exploited or scammed in the last couple of years. And you expect that number to grow? The number of elderly is supposed to increase quite a bit. Yes, and we're seeing these numbers grow. There's no doubt about it. We're seeing for a couple of reasons. One, people are getting better at reporting. But two, I think we're seeing actual growth. Our research, our second study, our follow-up study to our first one showed a 22% increase over a four-year period in terms of number of cases. Uh, The Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, what they published in 2019 is a suspicious activity report. So money lending businesses, banks, and those that uh, money service businesses like Western Union, their rate of complaints, that is about uh, suspicious activity happening to their clients, increased fourfold across a four-year period between 2013 and 2017. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, it's out there, and older adults are not necessarily more susceptible overall to scams, but there are certain scams that they're more susceptible to. You know, these government impersonation scams, you know, I'm the IRS, you have money, I'm coming to get you. These tech scams, also lottery scams, more and more now romance scams that are really targeted for older adults. So what's the reaction from people when you tell them what you do for a living? Uh, most people want to talk to me about their parents. <laughs> they do kind of like, just like me. <laughs> and I'm happy to do it. You know, I've always, I've been in this field for 34 years. It's always been a blessing to help my friends and neighbors with what's going on in their life. But yeah, people are just very interested in this, obviously, because it's so pervasive. And it really, you know, and you know it probably even better than I do with all the people you interview about this. It can be heartbreaking uh, in terms of the impact that some people experience such tremendous losses. Mm-hmm. How can people find you then? You talked about the services. Sure. They can find me online at iog.wayne.edu. They can email me at aa2275, aa2275 at wayne.edu. They call my office phone, 313-664-2633. Dr. Lichtenberg is obviously open to hearing from people in need. He got back to me right away when I reached out. I got a lot of answers from him, but I still have a lot of questions too. More research is needed and now. Until next time, Scammer Warriors. <laughs>